Hi, my name is PK from Almost Inevitable Design, and this is the $2.4 million podcast where we talk about web design, web development, and WordPress. Just a heads up, I might be using a bit of profanity at times, which is why I checked on the explicit tag. Welcome back. This is episode 012, or episode 12, as how normal people would call it. And the title is, I Thought I Knew It All. All right. Now, it's a very generic sounding title, but it is actually a Megadeth song. Megadeth. Uh, the death part doesn't have an A in it. It's M-E-G-A-D-E-T-H. It's Megadeth. Um, off of their album, Euthanasia. Euthanasia is um, their 1994 uh, studio album. And... When it first came out, I bought it on cassette tape, and only when I got to, because um, you know, I was in what 1994 is fucking tenth grade, so <laughs> so I, I didn't I, I didn't buy a CD. I bought a tape. It was a lot cheaper that way. But when I went to college, when I had a little bit more money to buy a CD, I went and bought that CD because it's one of my most favorite uh, Megadeth albums. Anyway, so. Uh, Although that album has a lot of really cool songs, uh, I Thought I Knew It All is an apt title for this episode because this episode is about step four in the nine-step web design process. Now, you probably have heard about the nine-step web design process because that is how I am describing the whole web design um, process, I guess. And... Um, that is actually going to be the structure and backbone of this future course that I'm planning. And I've pretty much sorted out, have, I, need, I need to start recording it. But anyways, um, so just to recap, step one, get the brief. Step two, get the uh, provide the quote. Step three, get the deposit. Step four, um, provide the proof, which is what we're going to do now. Uh, step five, get the approval. Step six, provide the build. Step seven, get the final approval, step eight, get the balance, and step nine, provide the migration. So uh, last episode, we talked about getting the content, which I think should help a lot. Um, in this episode, we're going to talk about providing a proof. Now, um, I will probably have to talk more about this later on because there's so many things you need to think about when not only designing the proof, but what kind of proofing software, what kind of um, design software you can use, what kind of assets you can use, whether you should use copyrighted assets or free or actually uh, commission them. There's a lot of things you can think about. And um, we, we will, we will talk about that because there's so many things we can talk about. I, we can probably go on to like, you know, episode 100 and still not cover everything because it's impossible to cover everything. However, in a future future uh, streak of episodes, I am actually planning on going on like a maybe three to five streak episode episode streak or block talking just about WooCommerce because WooCommerce is uh, pretty pretty crazy. Anyways, um, so yeah, that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Um, just before we get into it, one more thing: I actually recorded this already the whole thing this is my second time recording this um, I make a lot of notes and then um, I just start talking and I know what I'm going to talk about so I just go over it that's why I sometimes veer off but I come back on topic on, on, on point right so um, the thing is last one that I um, the one that I recorded last the last recording that I made 
Um, I listened to it again and I was like, oh, I, might, I, I don't know, I'm just going to have to change some parts. So I will do that. But the news and resources part, I'm still going to use the same links. So if you hear a voice change between this part and the news and resources part, that's why. Okay? But it won't be too bad because it's still the same person, same place in, in my study. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, so let's get into talking about proofs. Now, a lot of people say, a lot of people think that they don't need to provide a static proof to the client, which I think is ridiculous and it is what an amateur would do. If you're a hobbyist, if you're doing this, if you're making your own website, go ahead and knock yourself out, make those 100 edits and look at the revisions and it'll say like 120. I've seen websites say 120 revisions. Did you know that that all stays in the fucking database? Yeah, it, you get a really messy database from that. Um, and of course the website becomes really heavy because you're bogging it down with like a, a image that is like this size and then that size. Why is this not showing up properly in the background? Why is this not parallaxing? Maybe I did it wrong. I got to parallax it differently. This needs to show and you keep cropping it differently. It just becomes a fucking mess. So you do need a proof if you want to do a professional job. And also providing proofs are really, really, really important because you need to show the client that you nailed the design. That's really important because the client needs to know that you got the design. And once they see what a visual, once they see a visual of the website, then you are pretty much, and they approve it, which we'll talk about in step five. Uh, once that's approved, you pretty much have a really, really well streamlined um, process of developing the website and not worry about problems later on when you're developing. And you get a very, very clean and lightweight website once you're done if you do the proofing process, if you do the designing process properly. Providing a proof in step four, this is actually what the designer does. This part is a web designer part. And after that, in step six, when you're providing the build, that is the web developer part. It could be the most, li most likely the front-end developer part. So it's very different. The web designer and the web developer actually have different uh, uh, descriptions of you know what, what they do. But a lot of people, they do it all together and they call themselves either a web designer if they fancy themselves as a designer. They call themselves a web developer if they fancy themselves as a developer. But if they do everything online in just one go, it just becomes a clusterfuck of shit mess and you're just gonna end up with a really shitty, crappy site. Now, let's say, for example, you show that to your client and the client hates everything. What are you gonna do? Reset whole, reset WordPress and start over? What the fuck? You just wasted a bunch of time. Now, how is that different from designing in a design proof, like um, a program like um, Adobe InDesign or Affinity Publisher or Adobe XD or Sketch? You know, how is that different? Well, the, the main difference is that it's a lot easier, which will become a problem, but still I can talk, I can veer off into small little topics, a bunch of them, but I'll just try to stay on topic. It's a lot easier to make design changes with a proper designing tool, okay? And that means you can probably get your best design forward and then that is what the client will see, okay? 
And if they don't like it, maybe you can make changes, of course, and then you can change it in XD, InDesign, or Affinity Publisher, or Sketch, or Figma, if that's what you use. Um, and once that's approved, you can move on because now you can develop properly because you know that has been agreed upon, as opposed to trying to change the font. And if you're using a custom font, it becomes even a worse mess than it would have been if, you know. So if you're doing everything in Divi or on WordPress, on site, live on a, on a server, it's a lot harder to make small design changes than it is um, in a design app. You know, Divi makes it easy. No, fuck off. No, it doesn't. It does not. All right. It's nothing compared to what InDesign can do, for example. All right. So it's a very, very important step of visualizing what the client wants. And it's so important getting proper approval. Okay. Now, for example, let's say, um, you know what, like the, the agency that I work at, Mark's Creative, it's, we, we do a lot of property development websites and uh, we deal with a lot of property developers. And one thing that we offer as a service is we get the floor plans and we get, a, we get, we talk to the developer and we actually get 3D renders. And those are beautiful renders. Like they are photorealistic, beautiful renders. And those are, and they're expensive as fuck too. So the, we get those renders and we use them, you know, on the brochures, on uh, everything, like websites and everything. And think about this, you're buying like, for example, a million dollar home, apartment, a million dollar penthouse with uh, overseeing the ocean on the beach, right? There, there, are, there are buildings going up in our area that are way over that, or at least around that, air, that price range. It's crazy, really, really exclusive luxury uh, part, penthouse apartments. Anyways, let's say you're buying that. Would you not even, well, of course, if you're a billionaire, I guess, you know, you wouldn't be too fussy as long as they say it's gonna be, you know, top of the line. But still, even if it's not like for billionaires, if you're buying like, even if it's half a million, which is a lot of fucking money, right? It's, if you're buying a house, which is the most, proper, probably the most expensive purchase someone's gonna make in, in their lifetime, um, cars being second, most likely, and then cameras and computers would be third, I think, I don't know. Depends on what kind of computer you have <laughs> or car. <laughs> there are a lot of shitty cars, um, a lot of shitty houses too. But yeah, no house is like the price. Of, anyways, so um, there's a lot of, um, let's see. Uh, it, well, like if you're buying something that expensive, you would like to at least see what it looks like. You know, like you'd like to see at least a floor plan, maybe a render if it's, if you know, you're allowed to, or if you see a house that's identical to the one that you're purchasing, you'd at least want to see that, you know, you'd like to see what you're buying. Why would your web clients not want that? They want to see what they, what they're purchasing, right? Of course they pay the deposit. If, if you haven't spent it yet, hopefully you haven't. Um, and of course you need to, you need to show them that you understand exactly what they want and you can make it, you can make, you can design something that they want for them. All right. And like I said, using a proper design app is a lot easier in expressing yourself visually than it would have been if you were using Divi. Okay. Now, why is this episode titled, I thought I knew it all a fucking cool Megadeth song, it's fucking Megadeth. Now, 
Um, when you, whenever you hear the word Megadeth, you need to get your horns up, like your uh, fingers. Don't do the I love you sign with the thumb out. You got to put the thumb on top of your, you know, middle fingers and uh, pinky, a uh, ring finger. So you have your index and your pinky up. Like my logo, like the $2.4 million podcast logo. You got to get your horns up. Anyways, so uh, the, the reason why it's called I Thought I Knew It All is because I actually used to start off by just buying a template, uh, buying a theme that is properly, if you say it in WordPress terms, uh, buying a theme and wanting to change the text and images and maybe tweak some stuff, move some things around, take out some uh, elements, put some buttons in there um, and call it a day. Sometimes they would ask for a design. They would, they would show us inspiration, like, can you do it like this? And I say, okay, cool. And I'll do it on the server with Divi. And I would try to do the best I could. I actually built online. I didn't get a proof. I didn't provide a proof. And it, it, was, it wasn't smooth for me, all right? It wasn't smooth. But while I was doing that, I got better and better, and soon, soon, um, I started getting uh, paid for it. And after that, there was a designer who reached out and said, "Can you make this website? Can you make something like this?" They actually, the first thing that I got, the first proof that I got was for a contact form. It was a pretty complicated contact form, but I got a proof for a contact form. And I looked at it and I said, "Wow." wow, this is beautiful, this is really good, this designer did a great job. And the designer said, can you make this? I said, okay, why not? It's contact form seven, I'll give it a try. And I did. It took me a long time to get it anywhere near how I thought it would be okay and you know, looks sort of like the proof. Now, that designer, once, they, once uh, the designer, she got uh, you know, a live, live version of that. She saw the, she saw what I did. Um, she sort of asked for me to make it look exactly like the proof. And I wasn't happy. I was like, what? These, this, this name field is right fucking here. That, that last, that phone number field is right there. It looks pretty much the same. What do you mean? As long as it does what it does. You know, it does what it's supposed to do, like send a fucking email, you know, just let, what, what's wrong with this? No, she was really nitpicky about everything. That was my first, it's not, uh, maybe, maybe not the most intense, but probably one of the first where I actually had to deal with matching a proof to the pixel pretty much. And that really helped me understand and take my development skills to the next level. It really pushed me so I could actually look into enough CSS, look into every little thing, trying to tweak it so it actually does exactly, looks exactly like it's supposed to, and it res it's responsive, you know? Because a lot of proofs, you know, can't show how responsive it can be, and that was part of my job. So I take the proof, I make it responsive, I make it pretty much pixel perfect, and I make it responsive. So I, thought my old amateur freelance method was how it was done. It took me some freelance experience, but then later on, uh, the agency experience that I got, which, I, which I'm still 
uh, getting, I guess, because I still work there. Um, but yeah, working at another agency, all that stuff. Oh, fuck that few agencies, I guess. Um, anyways, so working at an agency where they actually do it properly and it, it making a proof covers yourself. It really keeps your, keeps your uh, future build covered because the client is approved of it, you know? So the reason why I say I thought I knew it all was I thought that method was how it was done. It actually took me a lot of humbling experiences, a lot of frustration dealing with people who were so pedantic about their fucking pixel that I realized how I could actually get better and how the process works and why it should be like this and why, you know, how that all works. And I, yeah, that, that's why I titled this episode, I Thought I Knew It All. I'm trying to explain how important it is to get an approved proof. Now, if you're, like I said, if you're doing this for yourself or if you're doing it, you know, pro bono for a friend or for like a couple of bucks, you don't need to do, a, you don't need to do a proof. But if it is an actual uh, industry rate or whatever you quoted, I don't care about what the industry rate would be, but whatever you actually quoted and you're doing this as a professional job, then you're gonna have to provide a proof. Either you or a designer are gonna have to work with a proof and get the client approved on that. That's how the industry works. That's how companies and agencies work. If that is not your workflow and you consider yourself a professional web designer or web developer, then you're doing it wrong. You're using an amateur method and you kept on building on that. It not, and that's, well, people have different methods. No, they do not. All the companies do this because there's a reason. And like I said, it keeps you covered. It keeps the process clear and everybody knows what they're getting into. It's really, really, really important. And a proper graphic designer with a, making a proper proof can do so much, so much better than just working with what the theme is giving you. Themes have their own ways of doing it. You can actually change it to make it fit the proof and it will look totally different. People actually ask like, how do you make Divi not look so Divi-ish? Work with, with, with a fucking proof and try to match that proof and it will not look Divi-ish. I guarantee that, okay? All right, so some things to consider when building a proof. And I made notes for this, right? I was talking about why proofs are important. Now we're gonna get into some things to consider when building a proof, okay? So uh, for the client, things that you need to think about when building a proof, try to stick with their branding and with their personality. Don't try to, uh, because you know, you're, you're working on a blank canvas, you're starting with a blank canvas, you need to, because you're doing the design work now, um, one of those things is of course, using proper branding that the client has. So of course, stick with their branding and try to match their personality. It's, it's important that you understand the client's personality. Uh, we can actually talk about this later in another episode about how to get clients. Now that's a really tricky subject, but I wanna talk about um, a method that I think will work really well for people listening in, uh, how to get new clients or how to break into uh, you know actual uh, scalable work I guess but yeah we'll talk about that later but for now stick with branding and personality make sure you do that sometimes a logo has a really strong prominent color use that throughout and then maybe if you need another color 
um, use a lighter version so you can just tint it down. You can tint it down in InDesign. You can't tint it down um, in, in, in uh, uh, RGB. So just uh, make a lighter version, really light. And you can use that as like backgrounds and you know stuff like that. So uh, yeah, that uh, make sure you check the client's inspirations before you dive in. Make sure you do that. All right. Now we talked about during the briefing brief process in step one. Um, it's probably I forgot what the episode title was, but ah, oh, what was it? There's a one about the brief. I think it was. Uh, Simple design, episode five. If you go there, uh, we, I talk about getting the brief from the client. And during that process, you would have asked them about inspirations, what they like. Uh, most of the times it's their competitors, which is useless. So you ask them what they like about it and then take, make, a, make a note of that and use that when designing your proof, what they liked about it and try to keep to that, okay? Another thing, if you, if you start from the top and just try to fill everything out and go down, that's, it can be sometimes a little too uh, hard and you might be just uh, nitpicking and doubting yourself over the first hero section and not get anywhere. So something, one thing that you can do is start with large blocks, large gray blocks and make a layout and then fill in the blocks with images and text and stuff. So just, or you can use a pencil on paper and just start doing that. And that really helps. So think about that when you're designing the proof. Now, another thing, there's also for yourself, things that you need to think about for yourself or for the developer, because you're gonna flick this proof over to the developer, right? Now, if you wanna learn how to partner with a good developer, one thing is you can go to episode six and everything you love, episode six, everything you love uh, by Chimera, that song is by Chimera. Um, and you can hear me talk about how to match with a good developer or with a good designer. So um, have, a, have a listen to that. Anyways, so if you're making the proof, you are gonna, someone's gonna have to use that proof to develop. So while making the proof, make sure you make all the assets easily exportable. All right, easily exportable. And also another thing that you need to really think about, make sure that the assets that you use are not only uh, licensed to use on the web, but easily accessed on the web. So, you know, like uh, Adobe fonts, Google fonts, or if you can make a take a custom font from like Font Squirrel and then make it into uh, a WAF, W-O-F-F file, then do that. And just make it, make sure, you know, just check if it's easy to use it on the web. Things, whatever it is, contact forms, fonts, uh, whatever it is, make sure it's easy to use on the web and try to stick with web, best web practices. Like if, if a designer makes a proof with like fucking seven fonts, like three typefaces, seven fonts, like what the fuck? No, cut it down. Three fonts, four fonts at best, you know? So try to make it web-based. You're, you're designing for the web. That's why it's a web designer, right? So think about that when you um, make proofs. Also, you need to do that. And another thing is try to make mental notes of where the micro animations could or should be, like uh, button color changes 
and all that. Just make a mental note of where it should be and make it, you know, you could even, you can even show like a hover state. Uh, you don't have to because like I don't, I don't get any hover states because I uh, sort of know what, you know, should be done and I can just show the designer or I can just do it and most of the times designer won't get angry at that. So that's fine, you know? So make a mental note of where micro animations could and should be and just um, put it, make it, maybe you can put a description in the pasteboard or whatever, artboard, what, I don't know, whatever. You can do that. Another thing is try to make it clear for everybody to understand. So a lot of times clients don't know what they're looking at. If you put an accordion or a toggle for like an FAQ, for example, uh, if FAQ is like, fuck you, right? No, anyways, <laughs> frequently asked questions. Yes, FAQ. So if you have like an FAQ, you can use an, a lot of people use accordions and toggles. Um, you can show what it looks like when it's opened up, you know, because a lot of um, clients, when they look at the proof, they're like, what? I just only see the questions. What, what, what's going on? And then you need to show the open state, right? So, yeah. Is that... Uh, uh, is that a good use case to, is that a good um, argument for using web-based proofs? No, not really. No, not really. All you need to do is just show what it looks like opened up. It's not really because you waste so much time and, and effort uh, working on a web-based proof and it's such a piece of shit when you're doing it directly. It won't, it's not, it, you can never get close to how, for example, even Adobe XD, which has limited, I feel, limited design uh, functionality still is so much better than designing in Divi, for example, or Elementor or whatever you use. Visual Composer is on the web. Yeah. Anyways, so those kind of things. Those are all things that you can think about. That I think that those are um, important for you to consider while making your proof. Now, I'm not gonna. I can't talk about actual design. I can't you know, explain how to design. These are just things that I um, think you should think about when when designing, but you know, I'm not gonna be like, and e even if I did, even if I did try, which I think would not be, you know, uh, helpful because you're only listening to my voice. What am I gonna do? Like take your mouse, move it, you know, diagonally for 20 pixels and you know, that's not gonna work, right? So. Yeah, um, it's up to you because you know you're the one who's designing, so you can you can come up with your own shit, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm not gonna tell you how to do that, but I can help you how to what to think about when doing it because you know this is all uh, none of this is visual. Uh, I will actually probably uh, be a little more visual in the courses, but for now this is fine. I think. All right, um, and yeah. Oh, so a lot of people have asked me. Um, what kind of, a lot of designers have asked me, what kind of size do you want for your proofs? Um, I think I've worked with widths that are 1920 across and also 1800 across, 1600 across, uh, 1440. I've, I've actually seen people who make design proofs at like 1200 or 1024. I think those small sizes are stupid and ridiculous, but uh, 1440 I think is a little challenging because it's a little too small uh, and things will look a little out of proportion when you do it on 1440. 1600 I think is a good place. Uh, 1800 is a little too large. 1900, 1920 is full HD screen 
Um, some people do use it at that size, but if you if you can do it at 1600, it'll stretch to 1920 without a problem. So I don't think that's much of a much of an issue. Uh, 1920 does look a little weird because um, 1920 by 1080, which is a full HD screen size. Even if you make the browser full screen, it still has like two to 300 pixels on top. So all you get is like 1920 across with 700 or 800 on the height on on the above the fold. All right, so um, it looks really flat. And when designing it, when the designer designs it, it just feels really weird. And when you develop it, it it's gonna feel a little weird. And once you start pushing things together and coming down to like 1400, 1600, and then lower to like regular laptop sizes like 1200, everything just butts into each other and just becomes, you know, just a punt of shit and just everything overlaps and just becomes shit. So um, starting at a middle size, like 1600, I think is good. Uh, containers, I usually go for 1200 because that's, I think that's large enough. We have enough, with, uh, we have enough, uh, screens now that are you know fine with 1200 across for the container and 12 is a great number because you can divide it into any number like one two three four five not five that's stupid one two three four six there we go yeah so there you go i think that's a i think that's enough i think i think that's enough to get you started right oh programs uh, adobe indesign is really good it's great all, the only problem that I have with Adobe InDesign is it has pixel sizes, but the fonts are still points, not pixels. But I'm used to it. I can look at the uh, I can look at the points, and I know what kind of what pixel size it should be, so I'm fine with that because um, I've worked with that for a long time. Uh, also, Adobe XD is really good because Adobe XD everything is in pixels. Um, you can also put it up on the web for people to check and it can be interactive, so that's really good. Um, it, uh, it is a little, more, a little bit limited in design capabilities. It's nowhere near what InDesign can do, but it's pretty good and it is fucking free. All you need to do is sign up for Adobe and it is fucking free, so that is great. Cool. And also Affinity Designer, I really like Affinity Designer. Nope, not Designer, Publisher. Affinity Publisher because it is a one-time fee and it does uh, everything, pretty much everything really well. The only thing that it cannot do is read InDesign files, but who cares who uses InDesign? Everybody else does. <laughs> but yeah, for my own work, I always use Affinity Publisher because I think it's really cool and I really like it. I use it every day. Uh, and Sketch, I've used Sketch the least out of these apps, but Sketch seems to be a really a slightly more advanced than XD version that is only on the Mac and it's it, it's it's fine it's fine I'm I, I don't have much of a opinion on that because I've made a few stuff with it but it's it's nothing you know it's a little better than Adobe XD maybe but yeah some people really like it because you can add plugins and stuff but I'm not that advanced with sketch so uh, I won't say too much about it anyways so there you go all right, cool. Um, and I think that's about it. So there you go. Um, those are what I think you should be thinking about when you make design proofs. And I think we can move on to news now. All right, so if you hear something like a voice change or whatever, it's because I recorded at a different time. So 
probably a different vocal uh, emotion or whatever it is, I don't know, feel to it. So just keep that in mind. And let's go to news. And we are back to news. Alrighty. So, first off, Smashing Magazine. Smashing Magazine is a really cool magazine. You can say that it is smashing and <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Now, anyways, um, it's a really cool magazine and really cool website. That is not a magazine. A really cool website. And this was published on Halloween. Hmm. Which is why the title is Signs Your Website Feels More Like a Haunted House Than a Welcoming Home. All right. This is actually really important because when you design things, sometimes you can actually design it to make it look like a haunted house. Fucking shit. Yeah. All right. So um, this article is definitely worth a read. Definitely worth a read. Um, but here's, here's one thing that I think is really cool. There's a question, what makes a house feel haunted, an actual house feel haunted? And in an article in Psychology Today back in 2015, and Dr. Frank T. McAndrew says, from a psychological point of view, the standard features of haunted houses trigger feelings of dread because they push buttons in our brains that evolved long before houses even existed. These alarm buttons warn us of potential danger and motivate us to proceed with caution. Cool. Didn't explain exactly what to look for, but that's because all houses are different, right? So let's think about some things that make a website feel like a haunted house. Now, uh, the basic bullet points is it feels abandoned, it's too confusing, it looks too low budget, and it looks unsafe. Yeah, think about that. When I when I tell you, when I'm when I, just going through the, this list, Think about a website that feels abandoned. Yeah, you can totally, you know, totally visualize that. Think about a website that might be too confusing. You totally visualize that. Looks low budget. Oh, so many motherfuckers out there actually get money to make a low budget looking website. Fucking shit, really, yeah. So yeah, there's that's so easy to do. And so you actually, open a new website and it looks haunted haunted from the abandoned from the beginning it looks unsafe of course that happens as well which is why a lot of people freak out when ssl certificates freak out anyways so um this actually says all right so here are some things that you might think about when uh considering a website may look abandoned it is way too simple in design now this is actually really this is a really um, acute observation, really. Websites, when they are too simple in design, people actually think, hey, someone did not put in the time to make this website. I'm not talking about minimalism. Minimalism is done with a purpose. That is using white space with a purpose. This is, that's not it. If something is too simple in design, like there's nothing on the whole website. There's maybe, hi, and then just, no, I don't know, just nothing on the website. I'm like, you'll know it when you see it, seriously. If something does not look like it's finished, 
but just looks like this is going to have to do for now, then it looks abandoned. Seriously, you'll 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 see it, you'll understand when you see it. Really, like it looks like that. And there's some other things. Like it's too outdated looking, it's devoid of useful content. That happens a lot as well. Seemingly uncared for, powered only by a basic chatbot, missing contact details or a working contact form. Yeah, that happens. I've seen that happen a lot. And in and in this on this website they actually have blockbuster website. I didn't know which this person didn't believe that still existed, and I can't believe it either, but the Blockbuster website is just a landing page, it's nothing else, it's owned by Dish, whatever that is. So, feels abandoned, yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, let's see, what else we got? It's too confusing, it's too confusing. Uh, poor color contrasts, jarring typography or animations oh yeah we i've seen so many bad typography and animations like everything popping up that's a bad website it's a fucking bad website anyways um excessively deep navigation without a trail of breadcrumbs disappearing navigation yeah like sometimes people want to make a full page was it blank page template on divi and then you can't go back like you're dead now what are you gonna do Infinite scroll, I fucking hate infinite scroll. Um, incessant pop-ups and disruptions that won't go away no matter how many times they're dismissed. You can fuck off if that happens. An unclear or confusing call to action that makes them wonder what happens when they click it. Oh yeah, definitely, that happens a lot, of course. So there are, like a lot of people would say it looks shady, uh, shoddy, daggy, those are websites that are like this. Like it just gives off a feel of uneasiness when it's so confusing and you're not sure whether it's done properly or whatever. It looks low budget. Um, here's what happens when something looks low budget. It, you use very bad styling and you use um, a little too many stock photos. Now, well-placed, Good stock photos are great. It serves a purpose and it should be there. But you know, like those stock photos where, I don't know, it it's like the most literal way of showing a concept. So cheesy that it's just like, oh, like, please let's try something else. And then the first thing that you come up with after that is also cheesy. So you have to come up with, you know, so, if there are way too many stock photos that are not on point and are just like, just general, just, you know, that kind of stuff, then sometimes it looks low budget and you don't want that, all right? So that's another thing that you can think about. Um, also, and this is a pet personal thing probably, I don't know if it's just for me, but if you use Open Sans, get the fuck out of here. Open Sans, I fucking hate Open Sans. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can make it look usable, but I just don't like it. All right, number four, it looks unsafe. Yeah, yeah, uh, SSL are important. Security badges at checkout, preventing 404 errors, faulty contact forms, blocking spam. Um, if you see so a lot of spam in the comments, yeah, it looks, it looks unsafe, you know? Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. Also, way too many shitty ads like porn ads on your website looks unsafe you know so yeah 
All right, um, what's what's the next one? I think that was it. Oh yeah, that's it, cool. So, yep, it's it's really worth a read, this article, so have fun with that. It's Check out the link in the description. So yeah, check it out. All right, next one is pretty pretty easy to go through. It's, it's, it's very simple to talk about, but I think I, I just wanted to add it in here because I think it's important. On the Forbes website, uh, this came up um, in May, at the end of May, so it's it's been old. But anyways, this this is about Chrome. Now a lot of people still use Chrome. A lot of people uh, love Chrome, and Chrome has now taken over the world, which is why Google is. I think I mentioned this before. Google is blocking AdBlock. Cool. So um, Manifest V3 is what uh, what is it what, is, what what was it called the the api it was called the blocking capability web request api all right so in manifest v3 there's something called the web request api and they're blocking the capabilities of that which means that um, ad blocks might will not be able to do what they're supposed to do however because there was such a backlash what google did was shitheads they um, allowed only the enterprise users to have ad block and the rest of us we get our ads so fuck you google i don't use google i use face uh, firefox not google i don't i don't use chrome i use firefox but i have to use chrome sometimes and then that's why i use um brave brave is chromium based so it's the same thing as chrome but it comes with adblock so you won't miss anything from chrome just if when you use brave oh and by the way brave on the ipad now is a full desktop version which is really cool it's really cool safari did that and i think brave is doing that too so that's really cool all right so um fuck chrome go to brave or firefox yeah that's what i wanted to say cool all right and fuck Google. All right, now this one is really cool. I think this episode is gonna be longer than the other ones. Now this is a really, really long investigatory article reporting, investigative reporting um, from Vice. And it was released, it was was, um, published also on Halloween. Happy Halloween. And the title is, I accidentally uncovered a nationwide scam on, on Airbnb. What? What the fuck is this? Now, the reason why this stood out to me is because I recently talked to a client who had a business on Airbnb. And Airbnb uh, apparently charges quite a bit of uh, fees. So that person wanted to make their own website and not rely on Airbnb. Um, I have actually planned on making, I think, maybe a four to five episode run of podcasts just talking about WooCommerce. There are so many things that we can talk about, and I think four or five episodes would be enough just to get a lot of things off my chest because I've done a lot of WooCommerce, and yeah. But anyways, uh, that person wanted to... um, get a WooCommerce website that takes, you know, bookings for, 
accommodation bookings and stuff. And that I saw this article, I was like, whoa, Airbnb. And look at that, a nationwide scam. Now this is for America. Uh, I don't know what other, what other countries have this, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if other countries did have this. It's a very, very long article, but it's very fun to read because the guy writes pretty smoothly. It's, it's an easy read. Um, but the whole idea is there's a, um, an entity, a scamming entity that posts in a lot of different account names a bunch of places they actually even use the same images in some cases and they just post a really nice place and people uh, book it right and when the, the when, when the person who booked it the customer gets close to that area is or lands uh, from off from the airplane and stuff they get there and right before they're supposed to be booking in they get a phone call saying hey sorry but there's been a problem, like the toilet's been blocked. We'll, we'll put you somewhere else. Would that be okay? It's larger, it's better. So you say, yeah, because what else are you gonna do? You booked it. You, don't, you can't go book a hotel now, right? So you say, okay, and you go, to, and you go there and it's a fucking shithole, right? It's a fucking shit place. And you're like, what the fuck, right? And then the problem is once you stay there inadvertently, and it's a shithole, it's not what you pay for. Once you stay there, it's really, really hard to get any refunds. And Airbnb just really doesn't care. So it's really hard to get anything from Airbnb. They're just happy to just keep doing this shit because they're gonna go public soon. They just don't wanna deal with any of this shit. Uh, and that is the whole thing. And it's really fascinating to read the whole thing because he goes through all the names. Everything is just all there. All the names, all the exact places, all everything. It's, it's fascinating to read. So that's the whole thing. Like people just scam others by um, putting up, you know, fake houses and then, you know, putting them somewhere else later on, uh, pulling the rug under their feet, from under their feet. So... Yeah, careful. And that guy who's trying to trying to think of a cheap way of making a accommodation booking website. Oh man, he is not going to be happy when I when he gets my quote. <laughs> I don't want him. I, I've I've done that before, and I hated it. So I don't want to do accommodation booking. It's it's gonna it's gonna have to be expensive if I do it. So I don't want to do it. All right, let's go to resources. Okay, resources. Now my good friend, uh, Jonathan, sent me this link. It's Lord Icon, Lord Icon, Lord Icon. And it has a bunch of animated icons. So cool, animated SVG icons. So cool. It is so cool. It is very cool. So yeah, have a look. You can just look around, find really cool. It, and they have outlined icons. They have solid icons. It is. So cool to check out. It's just even, it's just fun to even just hover your mouse over everything and just look at it. You know the way that they did it. Some of them are very creative. Some of them are really cute. The animations. It's very good. Just check it out. Even if you don't care about icons, it's just fun to look at. All right, next. Um, this is 
where is it? Um, it's oh, all right. It's ah, I don't know how to say this. I don't know how to read read that. I shade. No, it's not. I shade Ed. <laughs> Isha Ishadid. I don't know. Could be someone's name. Ishadid. Oh man, I, I'm gonna scroll down and see if that is in fact his name. It looks like it. Um, oh, okay. Um, his name is Ahmad Shadid. So I guess it's I Shadid. There we go. Yeah, that makes more sense. I Shadid. All right. So I don't. I don't know if I'm saying Shadid right, but it looks like it. So I'm just saying that. Sorry if it's not. Sorry. Okay. So this is about it. The title is. Uncommon use cases for pseudo elements came out a couple days before uh, Halloween and the other stuff it's not important it, it is pretty cool but the main thing that I think is really cool is parent-child hover effect now what this guy did and I think he found it somewhere and he's he's um, implementing it is like let's say for example you have like uh, two images onto the side next to a paragraph and inside the paragraph you have like two links and one of those links in each link has something to do with an image on the side respectively like link one image one link two image two and they're over there on the side but if they are made in a pseudo element you can actually hover over the link in the paragraph and have that image move and it's not done with jQuery it is just done with the pseudo element and a hover so it's really cool. It's really cool. So have a look. It's worth checking out because I thought I just looked at it. I was like, whoa, this is so cool. I'm going to use this somewhere. I am going to use it somewhere. So it's really cool. It's very cool. Very, very cool. It explaining the, the article took less time than trying to read his name. <laughs> All right. Oh, look at that. I'm actually at 50 minutes. I'm on time. It won't go over any won't go over an hour. I guess not. All right, the third uh, resource, and this is actually really, really important, I think, because we all use Divi, most of us probably use Divi, and Divi 4 came out, and it is getting better. They're on uh, 4.0.5, so they are getting better, definitely. It will get there when it all works fine sometime, all right? But anyways, uh, this is a blog post from Elegant Themes written by Jason Champagne. And if, I'm, I hope that's how you read it, Jason Champagne, right? Um, so if you've read anything from Elegant Themes, you know he writes really high uh, quality, uh, sort of technical level, um, intermediate technical uh, uh, tutorials that are really you know useful. And this one is about how to use a post content module in the theme builder. And it is actually a very, very, very important thing to get. And this actually, if you are diligent enough to actually get this to all work and style it all from top to bottom, it is. And this is this is this was during my research uh, uh, for the basic web web design course that I'm building. Um, you can actually style the headings and the text from the uh, post content module. If you style the post content module, then the blog content will be styled as the way that you did in the post content module settings. 
So um, although it doesn't affect, I, I hope, I don't think so. Although it might not affect the overall, uh, the whole website, like all the H1s, it will be a great way to typeset just the blog posts. And I think that's more than enough. It's really cool. So have a look. This whole tutorial is really long, but it's really worth your time to check out if you use Divi. So uh, I think that's about it. We're, we are at 53 minutes, 52 minutes. So that's cool. We are done for this one. Um, next episode, we'll try something else. We'll go off the nine step uh, web design process and we'll talk about something else and then we'll come back to step five. All right. So I will. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you've still been, you're still listening to this by now. Oh, I should have said this in the beginning. I should have said this in the beginning. Uh, if you have the time, I would really appreciate it if you go to iTunes or um, Spotify. I don't know if Spotify has a uh, recommendation system. I, I don't know. Uh, just, just maybe leave me some good reviews. You know, like I would really appreciate that. Just gives me more visibility and then, you know, so help more people and please spread the word. I hope um, this helps someone and if it did help you, please um, help uh, other people by introducing them to this um, this podcast, okay? All right, I, um, yeah, I should have said that in the beginning. I'm mean, 54 minutes in, I finally say it. Like that was so stupid. I'll say this in the beginning for the next one. Seriously, I should do that. It's so fucking stupid of me. All right, so I'll just finish up because I am done. All right, I will see you in the next episode. Take care, bye-bye.